Welcome to Monster Chats, presented by Monster VoIP, where we share the tools, methods, and best practices that business leaders use to build new connections, strengthen relationships, and impact sales and organizations of all shapes and sizes. If you have any questions that come up during today's episode, please text them to 424-378-6966. Please welcome the founder of Monster VoIP, your host, Colin Mitchell. All right. On today's episode, I'm going to be talking with Seth Thompson of Time Payment. Seth and I are going to be talking about technology, finance, and how to use LinkedIn to generate leads. Um, I'm Colin Mitchell, the host of Monster Chats and the founder of Monster Void. For the last six years, Seth has worked with MSPs, UCAS providers, and technology VARs to build and implement finance programs. These programs help ease the transition to as a service and subscriptions offering by providing cash flow and liquidity to these offerings. Seth is also an avid user of LinkedIn and video, so we're going to dig into that as well. Seth, welcome to Monster Chats. How are you doing? Hey, I'm good, man. I'm uh, super jacked to be on here. It's uh, quite quite the intro, and uh, yeah, dude. I uh, as you mentioned, I, I've been working in this specific space that I think we we both call home now for. Uh, about six years and uh, throughout that time and, and how we became connected was through both our activity here on LinkedIn. So uh, I'm, I'm really jacked to talk about all of it. Yeah. I mean, we met on LinkedIn. I, I love your content. You're super consistent, super knowledgeable about how to use the platform. Um, so yeah, we've just been supporting each other on LinkedIn for, for quite some time now. So I'm, I'm really um, quite excited to dig in and kind of get to know you a little bit better um, and yeah. talk about some of the things that you're passionate about. Yeah, cool, man. Let's go. So tell us your story a little bit. Let's like peel back the onion and tell us like, what was your journey? Where you're from? Where you born? How did you, you know, get into this space um, and what that looked like? And then we'll go from there. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, a lot of it's by chance, just like anything in life, right? So I, I guess I, I can, I'll start out by saying that I'm, I'm a young buck. I'm only 28 years old. And uh, so my whole foray into the finance space and in turn the technology space because of that um, was just kind of, Hey, I'm, I'm graduating college. I, I need a job. Uh, I, I knew a company that was a few minutes up the road because my wife was still in school when I graduated and uh, they happened to be a uh, equipment finance company. So I, I, I got on there and was placed in a business unit that calls on the IT and communications markets Right, so at that time it was still a lot of on-premise systems. The MSP movement was starting to happen, rather than just the the IT break break big shops. So um, I started there. That company is called Great America in 2014, so about six years back. And uh, I, I was really fortunate that I, you know I had a very broad degree in communication studies, which is just a general liberal arts degree. And they pretty much said we can teach you the finance stuff. We think you're a cultural fit. We think you've got the raw stuff. So they did that. I, I learned all sorts of stuff about equipment leasing, finance, things you, you never think that uh, you'd need to learn when you're a person that avoids math classes in college. So taught me all that, uh, placed me in this business unit that was calling the IT and communications market. And I've spent the last six years in that market. I've, I've made a, a change in companies here about a year and a half ago, uh, still calling on the same market. Uh, selling the the same thing, right? Financing. Now, financing now, let's back up for a second. Was that was that like a fairly new market for them at the time? So that that particular company, they had been working in the communications market for a long time, like probably 
15 plus years at that point. Uh, was, the IT side of it was was a little newer. Okay, but it was still more like on-prem hardware type financing. Oh, yeah. 100%. Yep. Okay. Yeah, they're all like uh, Avaya, Mitel, Cisco PBXs, that type of thing. Yeah, okay. So what sort of changes did you s- start to see happening when you were over there? Well, it's, it's really interesting when you look at the – I think I entered this industry at a, a, a very fascinating time and there's always change happening in the tech space. But for me, like I said, when I got on there and probably my first year, it was pretty much all on-prem PBX networking equipment that sat off the, at the office on the site, right? It was all stuff that if your customer bought it from you, it was there. And then all of a sudden I'm there for like a year, like just getting my feet under me. And this thing called hosted PBX comes along and then you have the cloud and data center. And these things have been around for a while, but I just don't think they were widely accepted. And so, you know, as my time at that organization grew and and even to where I'm at now uh, with with time payment, you just saw the evolution of this technology uh, and and really how folks consumed it was totally different as well. I, I mean, I can remember, sitting uh, at, at my first job there and thinking that hosted PBX was like, oh, we, we don't like that. And it wasn't because it was a bad technology. We as the financing company were like, well, there's, there's not hardware to finance and there's this cloud thing and who owns it? Where does it go? And we just didn't know about it. And so a lot of the next couple of years, we're learning as much as we could and trying to figure out uh, that technology and not necessarily the technology itself, but how it works within businesses, where the risks lie, where things are housed, what opportunities lie within there. And it's been the same thing in, in you know, the data and IT space with networking, equipment, data centers, all that type of stuff too. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. So then uh, tell us kind of, you know, what uh, then you transitioned out and what did that look like? Yeah. So I, I had been with Great America for like four and a half years probably and uh, I mean, they're fantastic companies. Still got a, a bunch of buddies there, but I just, I just knew that um, my, my path probably wasn't there. At least the, the path at, at the pace that I wanted probably wasn't there. And um, had a, a couple of folks reach out to me uh, about moves elsewhere in the finance community. And I wanted to stay, or, or I had the preference to stay calling on this market because I, I do enjoy the market. I love the channel. And um, that's where time payment came in. And they've been around for, 30 plus years, but never really had a focused, uh, consistent effort in this space. So it was kind of, hey, Seth, you know the finance stuff, you know the technology stuff as well. Do you want to come help us establish a presence there? Uh, and, you know, that, that was an exciting thing, right? Like getting to start something yeah. new, um, getting to try to build something too, because there, there, there was going to be, and, and I knew this going in, having to kind of build a a product to fit that market because what they were doing at the time wasn't necessarily a perfect fit. And so that was really appealing to me because a lot of my conversations right off the bat were like, Hey, we've we've really got a a clean slate here. Um, Take everything you know about financing. Yes. The the core stuff, right? Like we're not going to go write a note with someone that's going bankrupt, but like from a product standpoint, what do you need and what do you want? Like I, I can't make promises that those are all things we'll make happen, but like we want to know what the market's asking for so we can try to build it and then go out and address that need. And so that's kind of been my, my last year and a half almost here at time payment. I started in uh, January of 2019 
Mm-hmm. And uh, I probably spent at least the first six months, I was still selling and, and trying to bring on new customers because I, you know, I didn't take over anyone I came in. It was just go get new business. And uh, so I was still selling then, but a lot of my time was also spent trying to productize this, this rental offering, still trying to find ways to uh, bring a, a more refined or, or uh, attractive offering that fits some of these subscription models that are out there. So it's a, it's just kind of a, a different beast than, than what I was doing previously. And then obviously you, you throw COVID into all of that and that, that kind of, you know, that, that's 17 different wrenches in one right there. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, interesting. And so, uh, and you're a new, newly, uh, well, fairly new father as well, right? Yeah. So yep. um, what, what was the timing there? Were you just kind of still expecting the baby when you made that big change or what? <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, well, yeah, it, it probably wasn't the best time to take a new job. My, I, my wife was due in April and I started time payment in January. So it was pretty much like, okay, Seth, you can go out to do like your onboarding there at time payment there. We're based out of uh, Boston. I, I live in Iowa. So you, you go out and do your onboarding, but then like, you're not going to travel for like the first five months of your job because like anything can happen if this baby comes and you're out of town or, you know, right when the baby comes, you're not getting out and leaving either. So that was, uh, that was kind of interesting timing. They were super understanding about it. Luckily I'm like, Nope, we get it. Like, you know, you do what you need to, we, we understand, you know, that, the family is always going to gonna come first and be there. And I want to say the first time I actually traveled was not until my ba- my baby uh, Rowan, my son was born in April, 2019. So it's just over a year old now. And uh, I think the first time I traveled was either the end of August or beginning of September. So I, I had a nice little gap there, which was, was probably a good thing. And, and I think uh, my, my wife was very thankful for that too. Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, I have three myself. So I try to limit the travel for sure because uh, when, when the wife's at home, you know, taking care of the kids, it's, it's, it's hard. Even if it's for business, you know, you know how, you know how tough their job is. Um, oh yeah. You know, you can't, you can't just get away. Um, yeah. yeah. You know, ha- happy, happy wife, happy life, right? That is not a joke, man. That is, that's, <laughs> a, that's a real thing. You, you until you're married, you just kind of shake it off. Like, ah, ha, ha, I know. You're married for a few years. I'm like, ah, that's, that's, that's pretty real. Even when people told me that early on, I was like, yeah, yeah. Okay. We're, you know, but then after you, there's a certain point where you're like, Oh, I really, I get it. I really get it now. <laughs> you figure out who runs the show, right? <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, all right. So that must've been pretty exciting, you know, being asked to kind of, kind of pioneer um, these new product offerings for this space that's <clears throat> changing constantly the needs of the customers and these kind of complex subscription models and, rentals and devices a service and you know uh, i mean i've heard some pretty we've had some conversations before about kind of just hey what the customers are yeah. wanting and and in our space um and you know every you know you ucast provider is different um yeah. so how do you guys keep up with that and what are kind of some new exciting things that you guys are working on <clears throat> yeah well it's uh it is really interesting because like you said every UCAS provider is different and there's never going to be a one size fits all like, Hey, this is our offering. Everybody's going to love it. And you know, people don't expect that for the most part, but it's fascinating because I can talk to three different UCAS providers or IT shops and they're going to want different things. Like they, they all, yes, they, they want money, right? They need liquidity. 
on these okay. subscription offerings because they don't want to put their own money and have their own risk out there. But it's how you, you go about it, right? Who's doing the billing? Who is going to be considered the end user, the obligor on the contract? Whose name is going to be on the contract? What is it like? There's just so many different things. And there's certain lever, levers that we can pull there, right? That we can say, yes, we can do that. No, we cannot do that. And then, you know, to, to go on top of all this, we as a whole company and not just our, uh, you know, communications technology division, as we call it, we're kind of going over some overhauls from, um, you know, a capability perspective to be able to offer some of these new things too. So trying to plot out, you know, what's on the roadmap, what we think is going to be useful to these folks and then how it will be used has been an interesting part of that. Um, I would say that's definitely a big piece of it is trying to find ways because in the next few months, we're going to have new capabilities um, becoming available. And so it's figuring out how to use those. Uh, number one, and then how do we productize them and make them a standard part of our offerings for the communication IT space? Like, I think it goes without saying everybody is all we talked about this before as a service or subscription, everything people want recurring revenue, but you've kind of got these odd upfront costs that maybe you still don't want to pay for. Mm-hmm. So it's trying to come up with a couple like pre-baked standard offerings, right? That fit either A customer or B customer. And yeah, you might have C customer over here that it still doesn't work for, but like, can we take one or two products that will cater to a wide audience out there and be attractive to those folks? Um, and that's kind of been our, our, our goal here. The, the whole part of 2020 is trying to come up with a good way to do that in a way that, you know, yes, Time payment as a company, any finance company, our job is to take on risk, right? Because we're taking risk and giving money out in return and then, you know, taking more money back for that risk. So it's trying to take the risk that makes sense that people can get okay with, uh, you know, while still bringing a product that makes sense and resonates with the market out there. So, yeah, it's uh, it, it's been really interesting. And, and just like, you know, in any company and anytime you're building a product, you seem to think you have it all figured out and then you have a conversation or you, you, you know, have someone else reach out to you and say, well, what about this thing? What about this thing? And it can just blow the whole thing up and like, okay, start from scratch. Let's do it over again. But yeah. that's been a really interesting uh, part of my role that I, I think has grown and taken more shape as my time here. And, you know, the last couple of months, I've definitely, um, you know, Put, the, put everybody in a position, right, where all businesses are saying like, hey, we're going to hold off on things for now or, well, you know, we're not going to do this anymore. We're downsizing. So we're obviously having to address that just like any other finance company would have to. But, um, you know, we're, we're doing everything we can to keep innovating and trying to push things and bring something to the market that's, that's going to make sense for these folks when everybody's firing their businesses back up. Wow. Yeah, that's nice. And I'm sure it's challenging or can be challenging working with finance people to find uh, uh, certain levers to pull uh, to, you know, fit, you know, certain models or product offerings for these UCAS providers, right? Because like you said, everybody's got a different vision on what they want as a company or their customers want as an end user. Um, And, you know, a lot of these levers go against more traditional financing um, type agreements. Well, and, and, you know, it's interesting. And I I think this particular industry, there's still places where the, you know, call it traditional equipment finance model fits, right? Like, Hey, you sell this thing instead of the customer buying this thing from you, 
you're gonna the customer's gonna finance the thing with time payment or whatever finance company that still fits some places but because of the nature of the offerings anymore there's a huge opportunity out there for finance companies but it's just not going to be in that traditional way right it's finding ways to integrate the billing and you know maybe build some sort of like master agreements with sub agreements underneath them finding ways to um, you know, leverage relationships with different distributors and manufacturers rather than just resellers and end users. So it's, uh, you know, again, like you said, there's so many levers you can pull. And as the sales guy in the seat, right, you're like, well, I got all these levers that I can pull all of them, but there's definitely some that have the big glass box over them that you're like, just stay away from that one right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right, man, let's, let's switch gears here for a second. Cause this is a topic that I'm really excited to talk to you about. Um, yeah. you're somebody that, uh, that I really like following on LinkedIn and I think you really get the platform and, and the consistency and using video and maybe even understand the algorithm a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> um, so just tell us like, when did your journey in, in, in just kind of going all in on LinkedIn start? When did Seth talks start? Uh, just tell us like big. I still got you there, Colin. Oh, Colin, can you hear me? Maybe. Did we get a boot? All right. Are you there? Yep. Can you hear me? Yeah, sorry, we must have got booted. I don't know if that was my connection or what. But uh, no, it's on. It's on my end. The editing team will have fun with that. So, okay, that's uh, fine. As long as they can figure it out. All right, let's kind of start from where we were just kind of transitioning, and hopefully that'll make the the cut smoother. All right, cool. so Seth, uh, let's transition here to another topic um, that I'm really excited to to talk to you about. Um, of you just going all in on LinkedIn. I think that you get the platform, you understand the consistency using video. Tell me about when Seth Talks started and where your journey on LinkedIn started and kind of how that's evolved. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, super excited to talk about this as well because it's definitely something I'm passionate about. Um, <clears throat> so it's really fascinating because I'll say I first started becoming more active here on LinkedIn probably not quite two years ago, maybe 18 to 20 months ago. I think it was like September of, of 2018. Uh, what kicked it all off was like, you know, I was a sales guy at that time and, and I was with my previous company, um, you know, still at that time as well. And I was doing the normal sales guy things, right? Like hammering the phone, sending the emails, working my existing accounts, like doing all these things. <clears throat> and just like every sales guy, sales guy out there, I was like, gosh, you know, this is good. And, you know, I'm still finding success, but I feel like I've got a valid message. I feel like I, I um, you know, have things that I'd like to share, but if you only have one of every 20 people pick up the call, well, I don't get to tell that message to very many people. And I had been thinking that for a few months and it just kind of happened that at the right time, uh, Great America had a speaker in for one of our partner events and his oh, name okay. is Marcus Sheridan. And um, I mean, he was, awesome speaker. He also is an author. He's written a few books actually. Uh, but the book that I know him for after that 
that was they ask you answer. And that was kind of the whole, the book was the basis for his presentation, but his whole presentation and everything is keynote uh, was really based around using content as a means to educate your buyers and, you know, in turn drive more customers, more business. He's a really fascinating guy. Uh, he runs this digital marketing company, has his hands in a few things, but he actually started as he, he calls himself a pool guy. He sold pools to uh, res residential uh, houses and stuff like that, right? You want a pool, you call the pool guys, they'll come do it, they'll put it in. And that was in the crisis, like right, right before 2007, 2008, he said that time hit, business dried up. And I was like pounding my head against the wall. Like, there's got to be a better way to do things. And I'm not sure how he was turned on, <coughs> turned onto it, but that then turned him on. To, like, I'm just going to answer questions. I'm going to write blog articles. I'm going to write videos. I'm going to put them up on my website. I'm going to push these things out here. And uh, he's like, it was amazing. Like all of a sudden people were coming to us to find business because they'd be Googling questions about pools and it would just bring them to our website. And that's like, Oh, you answered my question. And by the way, you sell pools, so I should just buy it from you. <clears throat> so the, the cool thing about Marcus and what I really uh, respected about him was he wasn't this guy that just went to school and, you know, read all these books and yeah, he talks to a lot of business owners, but he had done it himself. So he understood the challenges and he, he still does it. If, if you're connected with him on LinkedIn, uh, you, you see he puts out videos all the time, does the same thing on his website. Sorry, water break. Um, but yeah, that, that kind of kicked it off for me. So I was like, if you can do that as a company, then why can't I do that as an individual? And I, you know, was on LinkedIn and sure was maybe active on there, liking people's posts every once in a while, commenting on people's posts, but I never put any of my own stuff out there outside of maybe a company blog post that I just pasted into there and, you know, sent a link. <clears throat> so I posted a video and I saw the response it got, you know, this was back when, you know, videos were going crazy because LinkedIn would just promote them. But it was like within 24 hours, it had like, I don't know, 1,500 or 2,000 views or something. I only had 1,000 connections maybe. So I was like, whoa, like there's something to this. And yeah, there's like, you know, the dopamine rush, like, cool, at least we'll see it. But I saw how many people that I was talking to and the calls I was making that were picking up and saying like, oh, I saw that video that you did. That was kind of cool. And so after, you know, seeing that and hearing that for a couple of days after posting that video, I was like, okay, there's what, something what to was this. It, what was your first video? Oh, I, I think it was literally just, just me like being, you know, hey, everybody, I'm Seth. Uh, this is what I do. Here's a little bit about me. I'm just trying to put myself out there. I'm going to try to post things like this more regularly. I mean, it was like 40 seconds. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure my, my buddy, uh, Kyle Steele, always makes fun. He's like, it was just a crotch, crotch shot, Seth, because I had, like, my phone sitting on the table and I was standing up a ways away. So it was, like, not even at my face. Like, you, you could see my whole body, but it was kind of the center of my body. It was, it was, Everybody it was remembers just, their first video almost like their first sale, right? Oh, yeah, very much. Like, Kyle's always like, you were the crotch shot. I had the straight up the nose hairs look. Like, everybody's got their own thing. Um, but, I mean, so that, that was kind of, like, a, an interesting thing, too, right? The quality doesn't need to be great, but people were just, like, Oh, here's this person doing these things. And so I started doing them a little more consistently. Like I think once a week is what I started with. And then I started doing some text posts too. And then I did a couple of videos a week and text posts and other days. And I got to a point, uh, I guess I'll, I'll pause there and say in that whole time. So that was probably September and within three months, because it was January, being a January when I started my new job within three months doing that itself 
um, had gotten enough people to notice me that I had people, you know, people reach out to me and say like, hey, uh, are you interested in new roles? And it just so happened that I was interested in new roles. And that was a big part of what got me noticed to help me land the position I'm in now. Um, and so when I started time payment, because I was starting with no accounts and starting this new market, it, it, I, I was very lucky in the timing and uh, the situation itself because I was like, well, yeah, like obviously I need a job, but I don't have a whole lot to lose. And there's not this pre-written playbook of like, Seth, go do this because this is what we know works in this market. It was, okay, Seth, you go do things how you do them. And, you know, let's, let's try to bring in some business. And uh, so I, that's when I, I would say I went all in on LinkedIn and started posting stuff every single day and like yeah. proactively trying to build my network full of people that are in my industry, customers or non-customers, people that talk to my customers, the people that are surrounding the decision makers and the decision makers. And, uh, you know, just, just through doing that trial and error, right, you learn so much. Like I failed so many times and had so many things flat, but I also learned a bunch from those. And, uh, you know, you, you kind of refine the skill the longer you do it. And it was really interesting looking back after my first year at time payment, because that was a huge part of my strategy was my activity here on LinkedIn. And, um, you know, I, when I say I was consistent, like sustained effort every single weekday, like every single workday, I was posting something. And there was a good six month, probably maybe even eight month period where I was posting a video and a text post every single day, like without fail. Like I said, a lot of them probably flopped really hard, but it was always coming across people's feeds. And I, you know, that's probably how we got connected, but you, you have enough people in your industry or around your customer that are interacting on your stuff, whether it's a like or a comment and it starts showing up in their feed. And then when you call, what I found was I would then call people that maybe I wasn't even connected with, or maybe I was, but I'd say, hey, it's Seth with time payment. And I would literally have people say like, are you the LinkedIn guy? <laughs> and it was just the funniest thing. Because you're like, oh, shoot. Like, I, I didn't even know you'd seen that. Like, yeah, I just, I've seen it pop up every once in a while. And yeah, that's not like, oh my gosh, I want to do business with you. But it's amazing how it brings people's guard and just warms up that intro so much. And they're like, oh yeah, I know something about this guy. He's not just a totally you know, random person smiling and dialing there, smashing the phone, uh, trying to get everything they can. And so, you know, through, yeah. throughout the end of the year, I looked back and I think there was, you know, for me in my role, um, <clears throat> I was really happy with the success I'd seen. So I think there was four or five net new accounts that I had brought on that were doing consistent business with us every month that I could directly attribute to my activity here on LinkedIn, whether it was, um, you know, they reached out to me or I reached out to them on here or they had seen something I had done. We'd, you know, comment on each other's posts and eventually they became a customer. And <clears throat> that was just, it, it was really fascinating. Like you said, you learn a lot about the platform and the communities here. And to some extent, you also get to help shape what those conversations look like. Yeah. All right. So that, let's, let's go back. It was really interesting stuff there. So um, what I found fascinating is basically your activity on LinkedIn is what got you your current job. Oh yeah. Right? Yeah. Right. So um, and, and I think that's such an interesting point that I don't want to just kind of, I don't want people to miss because um, companies are starting to realize that people trust, well, customers or end users or prospects, whatever you want to call them. They trust people more than they trust brands. Oh, yes. Like 100%. people people are going to use time payments as their, you know, uh, finance partner of choice 
based on the relationship and the activity that they've seen from, from you, not because, yeah. you know, time payments has been around for 30 years or has these awards or any, people don't care yeah. about that stuff anymore. Um, people want to know that they're going to do business with somebody that they trust. Um, and trust can be established on social media. Um, and so companies are starting to realize that if, that I think that ind if individuals have a much larger reach than they do, um, you know, obviously specifically on LinkedIn, uh, individuals who work at these companies have way more followers than the actual company. Nobody pays attention. Nobody engages. Nobody cares about what the company page posts. Yep. Um, the engagement's all happening, happening through, you know, what I like to call the brand ambassadors of, of the company. Uh, mm -hmm. which are people like you yeah. that are active on the platform using LinkedIn, using video. Um, but yeah, Dude, I mean, I think it's like, and I, <laughs> I posted about this a couple of times, but you're so dead on. And this is where <clears throat> the interesting thing about social media, you know, call it social media marketing, but like social media in general is that you got a lot of really smart marketers or people that have been in the game for a long time and they might be 45 years old, 50 years old, doing it for 20 years. And they don't know more about social media than a 24 year old right out of college. Right. They, and, and the, the people, the, the marketers that are VPs of marketing or chief marketing officers that can still bring success to their companies are the ones that can admit that and don't try to say, well, it's this way because it's, I say it's this way. Instead, they say, well, I, I know that it's this way that I don't know anything about. So I'm going to seek wisdom and hire people that know that thing and actually, you know, take what I know, what I've learned from everything about psychology and the human mind and, and, and how people interact with different things. And I'm going to take what they're telling me and I'm going to put it, you know, I'm going to put it together to form that marketing strategy because to your point, it used to be before information was so readily available, you trusted a company because that's what you saw. You didn't see Seth on your screen every day. You saw Wells Fargo on the billboard every single day. And that was all the extent of the knowledge you knew, right? And so you said, well, I trust Wells Fargo because I see them everywhere. And they're supplying the information. Where now, people are going to work with your company because they trust you, right? Because I'll say there's a general, not a distrust, but but – you're slower to trust companies because people, we see in the news all the time, whether it's hacks or scams or whatever else or some wrongdoing by Wall Street. Look at 2008, right? How many people lost trust in banks and financial institutions? Well, now people are saying like, if I can't trust a company, then I want to work with someone directly, like a person that I trust, that they're giving me their word, right? And they're giving me a reason to trust them. And companies will push back so hard on this mm -hmm. because they do not like the idea, well, if Seth comes here and then he just goes somewhere else, well, he could just take all these customers with you. Well, let's talk about that for a second. Number one, you're, you're looking at this from the old perspective if you think that. Number two, well then, if Seth is that powerful and that impactful to your customers, then you should treat him like he's that impactful to your customers. Mm -hmm. And that's not saying any single employee is more important than the company, but it's all part of the same ecosystem, right? Like when you're talking about having a strong personal brand, that instantly brings your value up to your company. So if, if you have a salesperson that has, or is very active on LinkedIn, is doing all the right things on LinkedIn, has a presence there, has a good network, 
a LinkedIn or a, sorry, a salesperson that is doing all the things as this person, like from cold calling and results perspective and everything else. Well, this person that has this presence on LinkedIn is, is going to be inherently more valuable to your company because they're out there and they're not just serving their customers. Like, they're doing things like this podcast right here. They're making connections with people and putting the name out there. Like my name is automatically associated with time payment. So every time my name comes across someone's screen, they click on my profile, it says time payment, right? Like mm -hmm. if, if this person that has a presence on here generates a million views on their content, I mean, how much would a, a traditional marketer pay to have a million hits on the content they're creating? Right, right. Like right. That, that's the thing that people that people miss. And so that's why I'm so passionate about salespeople and just professionals in general, having these, you know, personal brands or presence on here, yeah. because it's not just a good thing for your company. It is such a good, important thing for you too. Like it makes you more valuable. Oh yeah, exactly. And especially now when, um, because of the unfortunate times, people are letting people go furlough, uh, layoffs, yeah. you know, if you have sales rep A and sales rep B and they both perform at the same level, but sales rep A has, 20,000 followers and using LinkedIn and is getting the word out for the company and sales rep B is just more traditional, only using one medium of, 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 of contacting prospects and it's not on LinkedIn. Who's more valuable? Yeah, right, right. I mean, that's, so <clears throat> that's a big thing. And, and as a, you know, as a, a salesperson or just an employee, <clears throat> you think about you, you have your job that's going to bring you income, like great, but in the age of, non-competes and you know very like specialized niche companies and everything else if someone takes your job away from you they take away everything from you right like you don't have anything one thing they can't take away is your brand and your reputation which no or, one else is going to be sure or your linkedin connections exactly yes if you've built this very engaged supportive network you will have people that are there for you right like that will help you balance into your next role like that, that is, that's the thing that, you know, I think a lot of people don't understand you're, you can, you can have all the skills in the world and have great skills, but if no one knows about those skills, then it doesn't really matter. So you might as well start shouting about them right now so that everybody knows and you can be ready. Like that's, I think people just, just miss that. They look at how it's going to impact them now rather than five, 10, 20, 40 years down the road. Right. All right. So let's, let's, let's try to give some people some just kind of small tactical stuff here. If they're still teetering the line of like go all in on LinkedIn or kind of still just be a lurker and like comments, but not put any original content out there. Like what would you tell those people? Cause there's still a lot of those type of people out there. Only a small percentage of people on the LinkedIn platform actually post. So what would you tell those people to just kind of give them that, you know, kick to get started? Um, and give them some suggestions. Yeah, so I'd say um, like three just really tactical, actionable items. Um, number one, like whatever your commitment's going to be for, for content creation, make it a consistent commitment. So if it's, I'm going to create three things that are my own, that means I'm typing this post into LinkedIn or I'm recording this video and posting it on they're not a repurposed like blog post that you copy and paste a link to like your thoughts do that without fail so if it's i think three times a week is probably a great place to start for people mm -hmm. so monday wednesday friday boom 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 you're putting your own original thought out there 
do that and, and give it time. So I would say three months and you'll just look back and, and see what type of growth you see in your network, the conversations it's leading to for your business. So I would say do that, make that consistent commitment. The second thing I'll say is you have to proactively build your network. Just because you are creating content doesn't mean everybody's going to want to come connect with you and doesn't mean that it's reaching the right audience. So by proactively growing your network, I mean find your intended audience. So as sales guys, we should be looking for our ICP, ideal customer profile. You can search that, put all the criteria into LinkedIn, all the way from company size, geography, role at the organization, tenure, all those things. Type those in, search that, and whether it's once a week, twice a week, whatever it is, mm-hmm. go send, like, you should be sending, if you're actually trying to go hard, 50 to 100 connection requests a day. And, and this isn't like spamming, like, I'm trying to connect with everybody out there. These are people that are your ICP, they're within your industry, there's value to you, and there's value to them to be connected. Don't care if you put a note in or not. Some people love it. Some people don't. Whatever you think there. But you need to proactively be doing that. The third thing I'll say is that you need to be engaging on other people's content as well. Because, number one, when you're that, that's more chances for your name to show up in other people's feeds. Every time you comment on something, it's going to show up in their networks and in yours. And, number two, that's how you start conversations with some of these other people and make connections like we've made right here. Mm-hmm. Right. Like this would not be happening if we had not had an uh, interaction in someone's comment section or whatever else. Like that's how you start those. You can't just put stuff out there and expect people to come. And a lot of times actually in turn, people will look at your content with, with like more consideration as well. It won't just scroll by because you're not some random guy. You're someone that has valid thoughts and they've seen that because you've commented on their posts. Yeah. So I think if you're doing those three things, like you're off to a really good start, give it time to work. Don't expect instant results. I would say give it three months and look back and see if it was worth your time. Yeah, I think those are all really great tips. And and the thing is, none of those take a lot of time. It's not going to take a ton of time. You could you could do it all. You could you know schedule a little bit of time every day. And yep. then you know one thing that I'll, I mean, engaging. One thing I'll add too is 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 engaging with people's content is more important than you think. It starts those mm-hmm. conversations, like you said. But also, your content gets more traction if you're engaging yep. with other people's content. Um, yep. And then also, if you're really clever with your headline. People are going to see your name and your headline oh, yeah. in that. And, and what most people do is they see, hey, this guy looks interesting, and they're just going to click connect. And then you're going to build your network as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You're, you're absolutely right there. And like, to your point, <clears throat> that last one you made, I would say if you want to add a fourth or take it to, you know, 2.0, go refine your profile so that it looks like a sales landing page. Yeah. That's yeah. only going to help your case. I mean, yeah. Awesome. Hey, man, Seth, it's been great having you. Welcome to the Monster Chats community. Thanks for taking your time today. Really appreciate it. Before we let you go, uh, just let people know where they can find you, uh, where they can connect with you, if they have questions, if they want to know more about time payment, about you, anything at all. Yeah, yeah, cool. Well, uh, definitely connect with me on LinkedIn. I love connecting with other folks, whether it's in the IC communication space um, or just sales pros out there, someone that, you know, you, you might enjoy some of the stuff I put out. So if you just search Seth Thompson, you'll find me or search the hashtag Seth talks on LinkedIn. That'll pull up a bunch of my content. You can find me there. Uh, I am starting to dabble in TikTok a little bit. I don't see it being like a big business payoff, but it's kind of a, a more like low pressure, casual way to connect with some folks. I put a lot of my lifting stuff on there and some of the stuff I put on LinkedIn too, but, uh, there it's Seth underscore Thompson 10 you want to find me there. I'm, I'm still, uh, still just a, a wee little guy in there trying to build it up a little bit. 
All right. Awesome. If you're listening to the podcast, please subscribe, share with your friends, and we're listening for your feedback. We'd love to hear from you. The show is all about you. Thank you for tuning in for another episode of Monster Chats, presented by Monster Voip, where we share the tools, methods, and best practices that business leaders use to build new connections, strengthen relationships, and impact sales in organizations of all shapes and sizes. If you have any questions from today's show and want to reach us directly, please text your question to 424-378-6966.